Good morning, Skillman Church of Christ. At this time, if you are a child, two years old to second grade, uh, you have the choice, to, again, you have the choice is yours to stay with me in here or attend Children's Church. And is it true that today is uh, kind of all, uh, it's kind of, da- it's a dad, dad-run Children's Church? So uh, it'll be fun to see, uh, even though Jake's not a dad yet, <laughs> he's... <laughs> but uh, if you are uh, also, if, uh, if you just arrived and you'd like your children to participate in this, please accompany your child so that we can register your information and uh, make sure everything is safe and secure. Um, but we are so, look at those cute kids right there. They are so, so adorable. But uh, thank you uh, for joining us today at the Skillman Church of Christ. Uh, we are, at this time, we are continuing our series on the parables. The parables in the book of Matthew. And the title of this, uh, this series is, It is Like This. It's Like This. And looking at the kingdom of heaven, how Jesus, de- Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven through parables in the book of Matthew. And this is actually the final um, <clears throat> sermon in this particular series. So before we go into the last sermon, I just want to point out again these backpacks. David Parkin already mentioned it, did a fantastic job with the announcement. But according to the numbers, I think we have 32 backpacks left. It looks a little less than 32, so that number might need to be updated. But if you at all could uh, fill, out, uh, fill up one of these backpacks for the kids at Truett Elementary School, uh, if you take one of these backpacks, uh, you can fill, there's a, a packing list within it. Just take it, go to the Target, Walmart, fill it, and, and bring it back, and we will provide children at Truett Elementary School uh, school supplies. And if there are any parents out there, it is expensive uh, to buy the kids school supplies, especially if you have multiple kids, not to mention any names <coughs> here. But... Uh, <laughs> It would really bless a family uh, if you haven't already done that already. Uh, if you are new to uh, the Skillman Church, welcome. We're so happy you are here. We're a friendly church. Uh, my name is John Mark Davidson. I'm one of the teaching ministers here. If you are a member here at Skillman, I'm John Mark Davidson. I'm one of the teaching <laughs> members here. I've been out of, out of town, uh, out of the country for the past three weeks uh, on a, a trip with my family to South America. And it was an amazing trip uh, for our family. We used to live there to go back. It was a special time uh, for my family uh, to reminisce and go to the old spots where we used to live. But it's good to be back in the great city of Dallas. But we are uh, today going to be in Matthew 25. And if Bimpe could come on up here, she's going to go ahead and read uh, this parable uh, that we have today. And then how about we talk about it after she's done reading and a few points uh, Twenty-five, verse 14 to 30, and it's on page 1,541 in the Bible. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. 
The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has, who ha, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. So the beautiful thing about parables and the, the beautiful thing about stories is that these parables have multiple meanings. It's, a, it's, an, it's an ingenious way to teach that Jesus uses because he tells a story and the listener, depending on where they are at, in their life, they identify with certain characters and there's different meanings depending on what angle you look at the stories. It's almost like a crystal. If you look at a crystal and you turn it, the light reflects in different ways. Or it reminds me of this sentence in English. I don't know if you've heard about it, but there's a seven-word sentence that has seven different meanings depending on which word you emphasize. In fact, I have it right up here. The sentence is, I never said she stole my money. Now, this particular sentence is fascinating because depending on which word you emphasize, it's a different meaning. Seven words, seven, seven different meanings. Listen, try this out. I never said she stole my money. That's one meaning. I never said she stole my money. Different meaning. I never said, I never said she stole my money. I never said she stole my money. That's different, totally different. I never said she stole my money. I never said she stole my money. I never said she stole my money. Isn't that crazy? Seven words, but depending upon what angle you take, what word you emphasize, this sentence has seven possible meanings. And that's the beautiful thing about these parables, is that depending on what you emphasize, the angle in which you look, you see a different version. It has a multitude of meanings and applications. And so is, is this parable. I mean, the most dominant interpretation, the most common interpretation of this parable is looking at the term gifts and using it as talent, uh, talents as gifts. That those of us that have certain gifts, we need to use those gifts to further God's kingdom. And those that are specifically talented need to work harder and, and do more for the kingdom and, and, and be good stewards with what God blessed us with. I mean, if we can sing, then we should use that gift to glorify God through song. 
or if we can build houses, we should be able to use the hands and the gift that we have to build houses to, in, in the name of Jesus so that the, the kingdom can be, uh, can be furthered. If you can cook, you should cook meals. Or, you know, in my case, my, my spiritual gift is eating. And so, <clears throat> you know, this parable teaches me that, you know, I need to do that for the glory of God. I need to use my gift for the kingdom of God to expand. And this is one interpretation, and I love this interpretation. It's a beautiful look at this particular parable. And this, par- this particular interpretation teaches us to not be afraid. To not be afraid, but to use the gifts that we have and take risks and be bold and do things in the name of Jesus. It's a beautiful, and if, if this is a message that you need to hear today, then hear it. If this is the message that you have come to Skillman to hear today, then let it sink into your soul. And when you leave this building, you go out there and you be bold. And you use your gifts to glorify the kingdom. But the beautiful thing I said about parables is that's not the only way to look at this parable. In fact, there is another interpretation. There's three servants, right? There's the two servants who got return on the, uh, the, the talents that the master gave. And the third is the one that dug it under the, the ground and came back. And he was, at the end, cast, uh, you know, insulted and cast out into the darkness. But there is an interpretation of this parable where that third servant is actually the hero. That third servant is actually doing the work of Jesus That third servant is the one that is actually living out the ways of Christ. How many of you have heard a sermon on this particular passage where the third servant is the hero of the story? Anybody out here? June Martin, I think you have. (laughs) You probably have. It's a very uncommon way to look at it, but it's, it's really interesting that if you look at the text, there are some questions that emerge that really provide this other viewpoint. For example... How, for example, you know, first of all, uh, there is room in looking at this parable, there's room for interpretation about whether or not this parable is describing the ideals of the kingdom of heaven or the realities of earth. There's a room for interpretation. Some people interpret this as Jesus talking about the ideals of the kingdom of heaven, of what the world should be like. But there's also room for interpretation, looking at this as not talking about the ideal, but more so looking at the realities of how the world is working. You know, how many of you have the New King James Bible? Anybody out there? The New King James? Uh, what does it say? Does it, on, does it say on your first verse about the kingdom of heaven? Is it in italics? Yeah. <laughs> the New King James, what they do is they take the term kingdom of heaven in this particular passage and they put it in italics. The reason it's in italics is because in the earliest manuscripts, there is no mention whatsoever of the kingdom of heaven in this particular passage. That, uh, that in the earliest manuscripts, it's just describing this is what it is, is like. And so there's room here for this interpretation. It could, be, it could be about the kingdom of heaven, the ideals, but there's room for interpretation where you look at this as, well, maybe this is a parable 
about how the world is working in that day, in that age, because there is no mention of the words kingdom of heaven in the earlier manuscripts. The second question about this parable with this different lens is the master. Because in this particular parable, the master doesn't exhibit the characteristics that many of the godlike figures in other parables exhibit. You know, for example, the, prod- the parable of the prodigal son. You know, that father and the prodigal son, he's, he's patient and he's kind. And when the prodigal son is running back, you know, he runs out there and embraces the prodigal son. But it's interesting, in this particular parable, the way that the master is described, the way that he talks, the way that he treats, it isn't really consistent all the time with the ways that the godlike figure is talked about in other parables. I mean, look in verse 24 uh, of, of, of the chapter. It says, Then the man who had received a bag of gold came and said, Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man. So the master is describing this guy's character, and he uses the term hard man, which is the Greek word skleros, which is associated with the same hardening of heart in Exodus with Pharaoh. So basically what they're saying is this the servant is describing the master having a hard heart, just like the Pharaoh did with Moses in the Old Testament. So it's interesting, the term that's being used describing this master as having a hard heart. Then if you continue in verse 24, it says, Not only that, but you are harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So basically, this servant who has just been called out for burying his treasure looks at the face of this master and calls him out. Basically calls out what this master is up to. This master is harvesting where he hasn't sown, gathering where he hasn't, he's basically benefiting from other people's work. He is taking the benefits, the fruits of the hard work of the farmers and those that are working the fields, and he's the one that is benefiting from the hard work of somebody else. And it's interesting in this parable that the servant looks at the master with boldness and calls that master out. You know, in this particular interpretation of this parable, you know, it's it's almost like this ruler isn't symbolizing God-like figure, but more so a a Roman ruler or the Jewish elite, some of the the practices of that day. So it's interesting when you look at that interpretation, this could be describing the rulers of that day using their power to benefit from other people's hard work. The third question and the third observation is about the amount of the investment, the amount of the loan, the amount of money and the interest. It's staggering. So it says in here that how many talents was the, first, was the first servant given? Five talents. Do you guys know how much a talent is worth? So earlier I preached a sermon and I thought a talent was worth a year's salary. But it turns out for the reading that it's not just a year, it's actually 15 to 20 years salary. So, you know, you take the average salary in the United States, 30000 and you multiply it on the high end to 20 years, that is $600,000. You know, it's, it's hard, of course, this is just an approximation, but one talent could be equal to $600,000. So the first servant was given five of those, which equals to $3 million. 
Then the servant, too, was given two talents, which is one million two hundred thousand dollars. And then the third servant, who ended up burying that treasure, was only given, only given six hundred thousand dollars to play with while that master was on that journey. So here's the crazy thing, is that according to the story, while this master was away on a trip, I mean, it's a trip, so it, it was temporary, but somehow during that time, these guys, the first two, were able to double that amount. Double that amount. So the first guy ended up with how many? Equivalent. Six million dollars. Then the, the second servant, you know, two million four hundred thousand. I mean, this is a staggering amount of interest. I mean, the amount of interest. I mean, these guys, David Alexander needs to hire them on his team. As, a, as an investor, because this amount of interest on a short-term trip is absolutely amazing. But here's the deal. If you think about when this was written, at the time and the space and the location, this was written before the New York Stock Exchange ever existed. This was written bef before the financial tools that we have today existed, before the NASDAQ, the Dow 500, before eHarmony.com. I mean, that's not anything, right? Uh, E-commercetrade.com e or, you know, Geico. I don't know what it's... I I'm a preacher, right? I I'm not into... But this was way before the tools that were given. And so when the first century readers were to read this amount of interest, it's almost like that old saying... If it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. So they would see this amount of interest and they would say, whoa, something is up here. Because nobody can get this amount of interest without taking advantage of other people, without charging, charging exuberant amounts of interest, without fraud, without extortion. I mean, there's so many ways, and so it looks as if with this amount of interest that was given, there had to be some shady deals going down. There had to be some corruption. There had to be some things that were happening that weren't right, that were taking advantage of those on the margins, those that were down on the curbs. And so here these readers are reading this, and they're hearing this amount of interest, and they're saying, man, this doesn't sound right. This sounds corrupt. This sounds like the people that we know here and there who are taking advantage of these farmers and the poor and are benefiting from the hard work of those that are doing all the work. And then it comes to the third servant, and the third servant doesn't do a thing. In fact, what the third servant does is absolutely symbolic because most of the people of that day, they were farmers. They worked with agriculture. They knew what happens when you bury something under the sand. Because what do you bury under the ground? You bury seeds. And seeds with water and sun, they bear fruit eventually. And so this third servant takes this money, takes these bags of gold, he buries it under the ground. And you don't read it in here, but he may have watered it. He may have put sun there. And you know what happened? Nothing. Because money, this type of earning money doesn't bear fruit. It doesn't bear fruit. It's not worth anything. It just sits there and it doesn't do anything. And this readers are, I'm sure the first century people are reading this and saying, wow, this is symbolic. This third servant stood up to those that are taking advantage of us and offered a new way, a new way to do this that is countering the injustice and the corrupt systems of that day and, and choosing something different and illustrating to us 
that that is not a way, the right way to earn money. To some of these listeners, to some of these with this interpretation, this third servant is the hero because this third servant stood up to the corrupt system that was taking advantage of the people. So what's the message here? The message with this interpretation in our life. The message in our life is that where there is injustice, if we are a part of any system, if we are a part of any group or any organization that is taking advantage of the poor, of the marginalized, of the vulnerable, and if we are feeding the desires of the greedy, according to this interpretation, we are not in the right place. We are not doing the right thing. I mean, think about it right now in America. Are there things happening right now where there are greedy people taking advantage of those that are in need of help on the margins, those that are just trying to do the right thing? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind right now is the student debt crisis that we have, where college graduates right now are graduating with hundreds and thousands of dollars in debt because the cost of university is skyrocketing. This is an injustice. This is wrong. This is probably the first sermon about it, <laughs> you know, uh, calling it out from here, but we need to talk about these things. It's wrong to take advantage of people who are vulnerable. And we as Christians, according to this parable, we need to be the ones that are awake the ones that see the truth and the ones that stand up to things that may not be right. So the question is, in this interpretation of this parable, how can we be like that third servant? How can we be aware? How can we be uh, cognizant enough to see some of the injustices, to see the things that are going wrong, and to stand up for what is right well, you know, last, last week, the clues to this are actually in the story before and the story after. Last week, Jake preached on the parable of the ten virgins. And the last line of that parable is, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So the message of that parable is to be vigilant, to be aware. Or, uh, you know, in, in the modern terms, it's to be woke. It's to be alive, it's to be awake. So the first way that we can be like that third servant is to be awake, to be awake, to be aware. How can we do this? How can we be aware? Because sometimes in life we feel like a jellyfish, right? We just go where the current takes us. We go left, we go right, we go up, we go down, but we're, we're not going somewhere intentional. So how can we do this? How can we have our eyes open and be fully awake? Well, we need to be exposed to different stories and news. We need to be in the community. You know, uh, my Aunt Cecilia, she's out there. She reads so many news articles. And we need to be current with what's happening here in the city of Dallas, in the state of Texas, in the world about what is happening. We need to be aware and read from different angles and viewpoints. In order to be awake, we have to be exposed to what's actually happening. And another, another avenue that I found recently that I'll share with you guys is documentaries. Like on Netflix or on, you know, there are so many amazing documentaries that are eye-opening. You know, some of the ones that I've seen recently is 13th. How many of you have seen this one? 
It talks about mass incarceration of African-American males. And this is a problem. This is an injustice. And to be aware of it is something, is the first step to doing something. We have this called, the one called the true cost, which talks about fashion. And you know how you go to Target and you can buy a, a blouse for $4? And we think about, like, well, why is it $4? <laughs> and I think if we're just going without even thinking about it, we just buy it. But why is it $4? Why is it so cheap? Are there people that are working in factories in different places of the world that are getting paid fair prices? And it just causes you to pause and think about what we are actually doing. Are we a part of a system that is generating injustice? Another one is, um, you go back there, man, because I don't have them on my slide. <laughs> Oh yeah, Blackfish was talking about uh, a sea world. That's a cool one. And then uh, Newtown, which is very applicable because it talks uh, about um, uh, Sandy Hook, uh, the shooting, and it, it goes to uh, that particular town about 20 months after the shooting, and it, it kind of looks at the effects of what that did to the community at the Sandy Hook shooting, which of course is a very hot topic at this point because of the shootings uh, just a few days uh, yesterday. But these are some things that we can do to be awake, to be cognizant, and to be aware. The second is this, really, really quick. The last is to go to the margins. To go to the margins, to go to the outer areas where the people are in need, to go with the people who are vulnerable. It's interesting, at the very end of this par parable in verse 30, the master tells the servant, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And uh, so... He's in th being thrown out into the darkness. Well, it's interesting. The next story in Matthew, is a, in Matthew 25 is a story of the sheeps and the goats. And there's that famous line in verse 42 where Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And in verse 45, Jesus says, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So in this story, where is Jesus? Jesus is also excluded. Jesus is in the margins. Jesus is with those that are vulnerable. Jesus is in the darkness. And so to be cast out there, we are actually joining with where Jesus is. Again, this is just an interpretation. It's one interpretation to many. I like the, the first one we talked about, but this is an, another one that is very applicable. And it motivates us to be where we need to be, to be about change and to stand up against the, the injustices of this world. And this is our work to be with those in the margins. In fact, after services, Nora will be in the back. If you want tangible ways to be with those that are in the margins, those that are sick, those that are, are the widows, we have opportunities right now. We need people to do that. And we have opportunities in the back right there uh, where it says a place to start after services. But at this point, we have an invitation. And through the rest of the service and also as we take communion today, the invitation is this. Are we going to be awake? Awake enough to see what is happening. Are we going to have courage 
to stand up to the rulers who are taking advantage? Are we going to be in the margins with the people who are in need, who are hungry? This is the work of the church. This is the work of Jesus. And at this time, uh, when we stand and sing, if you need questions about being baptized in the name of Jesus, what it means to be a disciple, I'll be up front, the elders will be on the side. Or if you need prayers whatsoever, if you need prayers for strength to be that third servant, to be that courageous servant who stands up to injustice, the systems of injustice, why don't you come while together we stand and we sing. Let us be.